0: We're in part six in our James series entitled Discovering Practical Christianity and I wanna talk about selfishness. Selfishness just makes us mean people. Have you noticed that? Like when you live with a I'm most important, you become a monster. In all sorts of weird and crazy ways. I'm gonna give you four, right off the top, I'm gonna give you four things in the intro here. I'm just gonna blow past them. If you're a note taker, write these down. I'm gonna give you four things there are dangers and costs of living through a selfish lens. Let me give you the first one. Here you go, write this down. First one's long. We see opponents and obstacles instead of friends and ministry. We see opponents and obstacles instead of friends and ministry. What do I mean? When people are in your way, you're trying to get around them all the time. When you do not see people as the point, they become an obstacle that is irritating. That is unacceptable when we live through a lens where it's really about me. I need to assess everyone to whether or not they benefit me or not. But when you live in an other centered mindset, when you live in a I'm gonna serve Jesus mindset, then when someone comes up that is irritating, you go, oh, your ministry. Yeah? You don't have this idea of I got to get around you because you realize that's why they're there. Your job is to engage with them on Jesus' behalf. Number two, write this down. There's a danger that you can tell God no. There's a danger that you tell God no. When we tell God no, we are saying we are king, he is not. That is highly offensive to deity, right? Right? Because we're, we're saying in a world that is training us that everyone's opinion is equal, which by the way, everyone's opinion is not equal. God's opinion is the only one that matters, right? But when you start looking at God's word and God's voice as an opinion to consider something's wrong, our opinion and his opinion are not on the same wavelength, okay? Number three, write this down, danger of living selfishly, we lose our peace and joy, We lose our peace and joy. The more selfish we are, the more disappointing the world becomes. It will never be enough for us. The good times aren't good enough. Special moments aren't special enough. The praise we receive won't satisfy enough. And the result of living selfish is bitterness and disappointment because the world was never set up to serve us. If you are low on joy and peace, it is likely you're looking at yourself too much. When you keep your eyes out on others, when you keep your eyes on Jesus, you start realizing if you don't have something, well that means that God doesn't need you to hand out as much. But you're not looking for what is not in your life, you're able to live thankfully and with gratitude. Number four, write this down, danger of living selfishly, number four, we become easy puppets for the enemy. We become easy puppets for the enemy. The more self-focused we are, the easier we are to manipulate. Why? Because here's how the enemy works. The enemy has to work off suggestions and lies. Think about it this way. If you have someone that's already thinking of themselves, they're on the edge of disappointment right away. All you have to do is blow by them and whisper one word or one phrase. Man, I heard they were talking about you. Boom, disappear into the darkness. You just start spiraling. What? They're talking about, man, I bet you I know why they're talking about me. I bet you that they're saying blah, blah, blah. And then you just keep going. He didn't even have to do anything else. The demon just walks by, boom, gives one thought. Here's another one. How about he just comes in and whispers and goes, you know you're not enough, right? Boom, disappear when you're already overly concerned about yourself and you're going, I'm not enough, and you're in despair and you're in depression, all you gotta, you'll take it and run with it. The more we realize that we're here for God, the less the enemy can mess with us. I mean, think through what it would sound like. If you're really here for other people and you're here for God, and the enemy comes in and goes, you know, I don't think people like you. You go, I'm sorry, what's that? I was too busy doing ministry. I'm sorry, what? Oh, I'm not good enough. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, that's what I was just reading in the Bible. Jesus made me enough. Okay, anyway, right? Very different response. God wants us to see this world through the lens of what he can pour into us and through us and we can transform the world through healing, through love, through things like that. That's how we've gotta be. Now we're going to walk into this book of James. Would you turn me there? Uh, turn with me there, uh, chapter three, verse thirteen. James chapter three, verse thirteen. If you're reading out of the ESV, it's probably around page one thousand twelve. You can turn there quickly. It's almost all the way to the right in your Bibles. If you're not familiar with that, but we're going to open up. And Pastor James is super intense. He's he's angry and he's correcting somebody. Now, anytime you see. Jesus angry or some of the biblical writers angry, almost always they're talking to leadership. Uh, Think about how Jesus operated, right? He was pretty chill with like tax collectors and sinners. He was pretty easy going with like prostitutes and he was the down and out and the poor and stuff. He was very mellow, but all of a sudden he locks up with the religious leaders and the Pharisees and starts dropping bombs, right? You whitewash tombs and you're like, whoa, Jesus, you're really mad right now. Why? Because leaders are held to a higher standard. Leaders are held to a higher accountability because they have influence that when they hurt people, it's magnified. When they do things wrong, it's magnified. So when he sees leaders not taking it seriously and slaughtering people, he's right up in their face. Well, Pastor James is the exact same way. He's looking out over this church that he's writing to and he's like, man, you guys got problems and I'm gonna tell you where it starts, your leadership. Leadership, come forward. I need to talk to you. Well, that's, that's pretty. Now, this is where you go, oh, good, he's talking to church leaders. Woo, at least I don't get convicted today. <laughs> Praise God on that one. Nope, hold up. Bridgeway teaches the priesthood of all believers. That means you are a leader in your context. If you are a Christian and you're a leader, you're a Christian leader. There you go, right? It's not rocket science. In your school, if you have influence, you're a leader. In your job, if you have influence, you're a leader. In your home, if you have influence, you are a leader. We always need to look at God's word and say, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to tell me? I would hate to miss the revelation of God because we said, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I think it does, or at least a part of it can. I've never understood people that need to make their own mistakes to learn from something. I think it's such a firstborn thing to do. You understand what I'm talking about? Now, I am thirdborn. Thirdborns, which means I'm entitled and spoiled, that's not important right now. Thirdborns have learned the art of learning from other people's whoopings. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like I, when my brother got in trouble or my sister got in trouble, I would simply mark it down. Don't do that. I don't understand all you hard-headed people that got to get your own whoopings. Like, just learn from somebody else, right? Let their pain be your gain. That's what I'm trying to say. And so the Bible is written down that we can watch someone else get a whooping and then we get to learn from it. All right, praise God. That's what we need to do. Would you turn with me if you haven't already? James chapter 3, verse 13. It begins like this, and it's pretty flowery language, so I'm gonna tear it apart and explain it in just a moment. Here we go. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist... There will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. All right, what in the world is he talking about? Let's make it real simple. In a Jewish context, their leaders were considered purveyors of wisdom. You're like, okay, a little bit more there. Okay, they were to tell you how life is and what matters. Now what's intriguing about that is that they believe that wisdom came from God alone. So if a leader was giving you wisdom, it means they got it directly from God if they got it directly from god they must have a special connection with god and if you allow that to slip a little too far in distortion you start seeing your leaders as someone that's a different quality of human you understand what i'm talking about well there's a, there's people regular people then there's the holy people right now there's nothing wrong with authority and submitting under authority i believe that all believers should submit to the authority of their local church I have had to submit here. You're like, yeah, you just want us to do what you say. No, no, no. I have to submit to leaders here at this church. There's things that I have submitted under I didn't even agree with for over two decades because I believe in submitting to authority. So I think that there is a blessing that comes with submitting to authority, but there's a difference between respect and authority and believing someone is on a different plane. You see, when religious leaders were said to speak for God, everyone starts thinking they're a different level. Now, what happens if you start buying that and you start believing it yourself? It starts getting weird, right? I'm not gonna have you raise your hands, but I would guess that many of us in this room have what's called church wounds. You ever heard this phrase? Church wounds are any hurt or pain that you have ever received at the hands of another Christian or at the hands of a church leader. Now, what's so difficult about church wounds is they're hard to heal because they start messing with roles. Let me give you an example, a practical example. Let's say a child is being abused by a parent. The parent is both the protector and the abuser at the same time. Do you understand how that messes with your head? You're not quite sure. Wait, 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 I thought you were safe. No, you're not. You're the bad guy, but yet I have to go to you for safety. Like, my mind is just spinning. I don't know what to do. So it's hard to heal. In the church, it's the same thing. All of a sudden, you get hurt from somebody in the church, and you're like, wait, 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 hold on. If you hurt me, does that mean God hurt me? Wait, wait, wait. So if God hurt, who do I go to? Like if God's the one that's caused my pain, I'm not quite sure where I'm supposed to run to. Church wounds are so weird because we can't quite unravel them. And what happens is, is that sometimes there's church wounds that are intentional, sometimes they're unintentional, but when people start using their position to abuse others and put a religious glaze on it, we got a serious problem. So I wanna talk about this. Once again, I'm just as accountable Have I caused church wounds by being a pastor over the last 25 years in this church? Yes. Did I intend to? No. Did I do it? Yes. There are people walking around in society right now going, man, Bridgeway hurt me. Yes. Why? Because here's the interesting thing. I'm a regular guy that puts on the mantle and the uniform of a preacher of God, a CEO of God, a whatever you wanna call it. But I put on that mantle, but remember, the inside is still a guy. So let's say somebody hurts me. Like Let me, let me give you a real practical example. There have been times I've had people email me um, unfortunate things. Yeah, they, they, They'll say something against me or they'll say something that's not true, and, and, it, and it hurts me. It stings me. And you know what I've done to some of that? I flamed them. Do you guys know what that is? Man, I took all my powers, right? And I got, took all my intelligence and everything and I was like, and I wrote out the truth, right? And it was like, yeah, and I just barfed on him. <laughs> it just tore them apart. Pastor. Because here's the interesting thing, I was just chatting with a, a buddy the other night about this. When you are a human being, you look out your lenses like a human being. And you're reacting like a human being. The problem is they're not looking backwards at a human being. They're looking at somebody in Jesus' clothes. So what you just did, feeling normal, they had to receive from someone that's not normal. And the wounds were deeper. The hurt was harder. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so this is a very weird dynamic to try to process through as a Christian leader, I totally get that. What I think is important here is that he's just saying this. You guys, when you put on this, this glaze, when you start acting like you're something totally different, you start excusing your behavior sometimes with religiosity. Pastor, I think you, you totally hurt me the other day. I was speaking from the Lord. What are you gonna say? No, you weren't. Right, And so it starts getting really weird. So this is why, because of the danger, James goes as the bishop of the Jerusalem church, whoom, goes right up and exposes the leaders and says, you guys, you're not healthy. You know what I'm seeing in the church, he said? Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. That's what I'm seeing. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, right? You guys, I'm gonna, we're gonna do a campaign. We're gonna do a financial campaign. And the financial campaign is we're gonna put a big bronze statue of me out front looking like this. I got the Bible. My lips are a little more full. What the heck? Pastor, why the heck would we do that? What I'm trying to show the community is that the word of God matters. Trying to say, right? Like everybody can come in, you are preaching the word, that's important, right? You're like, hold on, dude. I think you just want to be a big deal. I think you want a little bronze statue of yourself. That's what I think. No, 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 I got a word from the Lord. (laughs) No, you didn't, right? See, that's the weird creepiness. You go, it's actually selfish ambition. Y'all, we all struggle with selfish ambition. It's not like leaders are any different, but when they start putting a religious glaze over it, You're like, whoa, hold on a second, because that's somehow what, you can't touch me now. You can't hold me accountable now, I'm too far. He said, that is demonic. He's like, you know what, let's talk about what a real good Christian leader looks like, and then I'm gonna put it up against how you've been acting, and let's see what everybody can assess. Number one, if you're a great Christian leader, you are pure. That means Christ-like integrity, moral and spiritual integrity that flows through your behavior and attitudes. You're not a bad guy. I should be able to see that. Number two, you should be peaceful inside and outside. If you cause a problem, it better be for the betterment of the church, not just because you got a problem. You don't get to just, oh, I love putting people at odds and trying to get people to argue. That's not right. You don't get to have your own divisions and your own factions. That's not acceptable. I'll tell you, number three, you're gentle. You're not harshly demanding where it's letter of the law and and I'm so hard on everybody. Stop it. Where's your grace, man? How did God treat you? Stop. Number four, you need to be dedicated to what is right, self-disciplined, that you're not just allowing your anger to go unchecked. I I believe the next one is full of mercy. You need to be unbiasedly merciful to all. You're not just nice to your people and then mean to everybody else. You should be full of good fruits that are good for everybody. Not just, I do good things that benefit me. As long as I get a gift card, I'm good, right? You need to be untainted by hypocrisy. What's intriguing about these lists is it seems like these leaders were not only being mean, they were creating their own camps. Anytime you create your own camps and you cause division in the body of Christ, God's coming at you. You don't play with that, right? And he said, all right, let's dig into this. Where is this all coming from? Look at chapter four, verse one. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you can't get anything, so you fight and quarrel. But you don't have it because you didn't ask me for it. You ask and I don't give it to you because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. All right, let's pause. Think back through the last couple of arguments you've had. What were they really about? Have you ever had this experience? You fought with someone so long you forgot what you started fighting about. Man, what does that tell you? It wasn't about the thing. It was a power struggle. There's something going on that was deeper. All right, let's use an example. Let's say, let's say you're gonna empty the dishwasher, right, you, you open it up, and some unholy person put the forks facing up. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's biblical, I'm just saying it's demonic. Okay. <clears throat> Everyone knows that Jesus put the forks facing down. I think is actually what occurred here. I don't I don't I don't have another word for you. And here's why. I don't want to stab my hand reaching in. You understand what I'm saying? And I don't want your grubby paws on my tongs. Come on. Anyway. And you're like, I can't believe you put the forks facing down. I told you last time, and boom, now we're arguing about forks. (laughs) Is it really about forks? No. It's a, I told you last time, and you defied me, right? You're starting to see this is a power thing, right? You want to be right. Was the issue about you controlling a narrative was it about facts or you just wanted them to change their opinion? Not all arguments are wrong. It's not, oh, I'm more Jesus-like, I'm a doormat, that's not it. What I'm saying is when you start looking at everything through the lens of my opinion's the only opinion, something's gonna go wrong. How dare you have a different opinion than me? Who do you think you are? And they're like, well, who do you think you are? Well, nobody knows who they are. Does that make sense? <laughs> Clearly we don't know what we're doing. James said at the heart of it, it's selfishness. You got all these wars going on in your spirit, right? You know this. Somebody comes up and they, they hurt you, they irritate you. and and you wanna lash out. You have this little war, right? In one hand, you're like, well, Jesus would've given him more patience. Jesus would probably, a soft answer turns away wrath, right? And you're like, I know that it's more important to win the relationship than win the argument. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the other hand, dang, they're irritating, right? You got the little angel that's like, bloop, little devil shows up and he's like, I say, you blast him. You know, that kind of thing. You have this war going on where you know the right thing to do and at the same time your flesh is fighting. He's like, man, you've got all that going on. But if you lean into the I'm gonna protect myself mode, if you lean into the selfish side of things, you start doing terrible things. And we've seen it on a national level, we've seen it on a private level. Let me ask you a question. Why would someone take the energy to hurt somebody else? It's a lot of work, right? I mean, okay, we could use an extreme example. Why would one nation go to war with another nation? That is so many resources, it is so much problems, and you're probably not gonna come out all that great. Why would you even do that? There are some of us lazy in the room going, I think you should just watch Netflix. (laughs) I don't see a reason for war. Why would you do it? Because you're getting something from it. What are you getting from it? Okay, well, hold on, let's take it personal. Why in the world would you be mean to somebody? It's a lot of extra energy. Why not just pretend like they don't exist? Clearly, you're getting something out of it. You're motivated to do something. Why would someone murder someone else? In case you're wondering, murder's bad. You have the possibility you can go to jail. Like You're risking a whole lot. Why would someone murder someone? Because they either wanna get something from them or they wanna get them out of the way of something, right? Okay, why would somebody gossip about somebody else? Because you wanna feel good that you have new news, now you're important to listen to, but you're doing so at the reputation of somebody else. Why is domestic violence a thing? Because they are irritating me, and they, I've told them before, stop. I don't care if it's national or personal. You know what you just heard? Me, 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 me. It's always the problem that the whole world somehow has to cater to you. That doesn't work, it's not right. And and, and James uses this extreme language, he's like, you guys fight, you quarrel, you murder. You're like, that escalated quickly, right? Why does he say that? The different ways we harm people are not a difference of quality, they're a difference of quantity. What do I mean? well, I've never murdered anybody. You've been killing people in your heart all day long. Hmm. We always like to play this, there's those kind of people and then there's me. No, no, no. There's murderers and then there's murderers who haven't committed. That's you. Because the heart, if a heart is bad, the heart can lead to murder or the heart can lead to a vicious tongue but it's still a bad heart. So once again, it's not a matter of quality difference. Murderers are not different than us. It's who took it far enough and committed to it. We're all the same kind of people. So James gets in everybody's face and he said, when we get in a bad mood and we get selfish, we turn into adult brats, right? Have you guys ever noticed this? This is. Kids are awesome because they, they don't have like all the rules that we have. They can kind of do whatever they want. So the other night I was watching Josh's kid. How old is Declan, Josh? Uh, he'll be seven. He'll be seven, right? So six year old guy. So we're at a we're at an event the other night, and uh, he and his sister were playing out in the grass. She got bored with him, she moved on. He's he's hanging out in the grassy area, and you could tell he's like looking around, like, God, oh, this is a boring place. And then he just falls on the ground and starts rolling. And I was like, that's not really a game. He was like, yeah, it is, right? I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you just rolling? He's like, better than standing there staring at something. He like had no rules why he shouldn't roll. Now, none of us do that as adults. You're in Raleigh's oh, and just start rolling. <laughs> like, what is, are you having a seizure, sir? <laughs> Nobody does that. Because we have to channel it into an adult version of a tantrum. Right? So what do we do as adults? Well, one of the things we do is we make weird sounds. Oh, psh, 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 psh. You're like, are you trying to beatbox, sir? What are you, what are you, what are you trying to do there? Right? And then my the one that cracks me up the most is when adults heavy walk. And you're like, are you stomping? And you're like slamming things. Like, what what are you doing? You know, we all thought we would grow up. We just morph like our our tantrums, right? Into something a little bit more appropriate, right? He's like, look at your hearts. You're just mad because you're not getting what you want. And here's the reality. You never got it because you didn't ask me for it. Yeah, I did. I asked you for it. You didn't give it to me. Okay, hold on. You asked me to explode your neighbor's head. That is unacceptable. I'm not going to do that. I understand you have a fence problem, but that does not mean I decapitate your neighbor. Good parents sift requests, right? Can I have more candy? No. Why? Because you're already a spaz. Good point. He said, you do not have, because you do not ask me and you don't get it because I know what you're doing with it. It's all about you. It's always all been, been about you. So no, that's not good for you and it's not good for the world, so I'm not going to grant that. Look at verse four. You adulterous people. Oh, that's big. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All right, what is this whole idea of you adulterous people? Were there really a lot of murderers and adulterers? No. This is an Old Testament term, spiritual adultery. And here's kind of where it goes. Everything that has to do with God that matters is relational. Is that correct? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's relational. What about our neighbors? Love your neighbors as yourself. It's relational. So God says, all right, so if you're going to give your life over to me and you want to connect with me, then we are going to be in relational covenant with one another. He goes, it's kind of like your marriages, You go to a wedding and you're literally signing on a dotted line. You have a contract that demands fidelity. Is that not correct? You even have witnesses that are signing on the line. So in the same way you guys have an agreement, a contract with one another, I demand absolute fidelity. I demand faithfulness. You will have no other gods before me. But what do you end up doing? Oh, there's a new God in town. Oh, I'm interested in myself. Oh, I'm gonna do my own thing. You keep going out on me and that I would consider spiritual adultery. He was busting Israel for this all the time. They started serving Baal and then they served another God. And he was like, what are you doing? This is not only violating a contract, it's violating my heart. It's not acceptable. That's the phrase. So James said, You guys, you're doing that to God. And they're like, how would I do that? Friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God. You're like, hold on, are you telling me I can't like people in the world? No, you missed it. Friendship with the world. The world in this context means that which is anti-God in society. There's a ton of great stuff in society. This is the specific parts that are against what God wants. That's called the world. When you make friends with that, it means you're partnering with, it means you're investing in, by definition, if it's anti-me, you become my enemy and adversary. Like, it's not rocket science, guys. When you choose to have two feet in the world and you're supporting stuff that is contrary to me, giving them your heart, giving them your attention, you have made a choice to stand against me you realize that's what Satan means? Adversary? Why are you helping him do his job? It's not right. He said, but I know you're human, I know you're broken. I know you're gonna keep messing up and I will continue to give you grace. Isn't that a beautiful statement right in there? Because here's what he said, and maybe some of you came to church just to hear this phrase, you ready? God's nature doesn't change because of your sin. He's like, you know what, kiddo? First day you came to me and you were all soft and your lip was quivering and you were so sweet. You were super sad about what you did. I had so much grace for you. And you know what? On your worst day, when you are just so mean and nasty, I'm the same God with grace. My grace doesn't change because you are in a bad mood. I'm the adult here. I am consistent and I know how to handle my kids. So yes, I'm the grace-filled God. It's powerful, yeah? And then it says, and by the way, if you wanna tick me off, be prideful. I'm really nice with softies, but I really, if you are walking around nailing everybody to the wall, I'm gonna come up on you in a hurry. Because you're being so mean to everybody else, I'll hold you to the same standard. Is that what you want? No. All right, calm down. Verse seven, here we go. How do we fix it all? If the church is damaged and James has all these concerns with the leadership, what do we do? Verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Pause. What do we do if we've been rebellious? Okay, I love this quote. First rule of trying to get out of a hole, stop digging. Does that make sense? If your problem is you've been rebellious towards God, how about first thing, let's stop doing that, okay? So we submit to God. You say, I'm not doing my own agenda. I'm gonna do it his way. Submit to God. Do you understand the word repentance means that you would change your mind to agree with him? That's what it really means. Like, get into his mind space and own up. Know what you did wrong. Don't try to excuse it. Don't try to sneak away from it. Don't try to hide from it. Call it what it is. Own up to it. Submit to God. And then he said, by the way, you're getting harassed all over the place by the enemy. I need you to resist the devil, not give in to him, not partner with him. Resist him. Now, I love this phrase, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. It's so encouraging because it says whatever harassment you're under right now will not be forever. We all get harassed, right, spiritually harassed all the time by demonic stuff, okay? But it's not gonna last forever. How do we get rid of them? We resist them. What do you mean resist them? I'm talking about rebuking, shutting down, saying I'm not letting you do this to me anymore. You do not get to ruin my joy. You do not get to ruin my peace, right? And I will not allow you to manipulate me. When we resist the devil, uh, and that means the demons, they'll flee. And I was thinking to myself, why would they flee? Like, isn't their job to kind of just like mess with us? Like, why would they leave? And then it dawns on me. Isn't it true that only God is omnipresent? He can be everywhere at one time. Is that correct? That means anything he created cannot. That means devil, demons, angels can only be in one place at one time. All right. They may be able to flip dimensions and go through solid matter and they may be able to be really fast, but they have to be at one place at one time. Here's the point. If they're harassing you, they're not doing something else. But what if you're a problem for them? They're like, I'm harassing them, but they keep calling out to Jesus. This is irritating. They're all looking at their watch. Man, I got something else I could be doing. There's a dude in Modesto I was all over. (laughs) Right? And they leave because it's not working. How beautiful is it where you just say, devil, I'm hiding under my shield of faith and I'm gonna keep saying my Jesus, I'm not listening to you. And he's like, all right, fine, he's gone. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then what? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You're like, I thought God was already here. No, he's just shifting from discipline parent mode to comfort parent mode. And he's like, but if you're gonna own this, it's not a laughing matter. I need you to get yourself cleaned up by owning it, coming to me. If you confess your sins, I will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But I need you to take it seriously. It's not like, you know what? I can do whatever I want. I can say, God, forgive me. And then like, bing, it's all imaginary done. You know, it's all gone. I, I can do whatever I want. Stop. You think I can't read your heart? You think I don't think that you're playing me? Here's what I need. I need you to come to me with a little bit of sorrow here. I need you to come up to me like a little kid. Hey, what happened? I threw a rock at his head. (laughs) Who, Johnny? Okay, that was not good, right? No. Okay, did you say sorry to him? No. Will you? Yeah. Okay, so here's the deal, buddy. I saw you throw a rock at his head and I don't think that was okay. Uh, I know. Are you gonna do it again? I don't think so. (laughs) We'll see. Hey, buddy, here's the deal. We don't throw rocks, right? Okay, 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 clean up. All right, let's go play, all right? When we face God and own up to things, he has a solution waiting for us. Let's finish it out in verse 11. He said, before we get out of here, there's a couple points I wanna make. Verse 11 and 12, do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're obviously not a doer of the law, you're a judge. But there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, this gets really distorted. I think that there's a lot of the don't judge me, bro, right? This, you know, trying to push people away, you can't judge me because everyone's opinions are the same. That is incorrect. So, judge in the Bible has a massive uh, kind of continuum. There's simple judging in the Bible can mean a simple determination. Two plus two equals, and I'm gonna make the determination that if I add two to two, it's gonna be four. That's a very simple determination. There's nothing wrong with that. But it can slide all the way to the other side where you speak to people's identity. Let me give you a, an example. Not all opinions are the same, not all the ways that we think are the same. If a two-year-old comes up to you and goes, your hair looks funny, right? That's different than if a hairstylist comes up and goes, your hair looks funny. They have more weight to them. If a parent judges the behavior of their child, that's different than a judge in a courtroom judging the behaviors of a child. Different judges, different degrees, different seriousness. Okay, okay. So we can make determinations about people's behaviors. Wow, that's really toxic, what you just said right there. Or wow, that is not healthy. Or goodness gracious, this is not acceptable. We can look at all those types of things and make determinations. Here's what we cannot do. Speak to someone's identity. And you're like, "I I don't do that. Hold up, here's the phrase. You're an idiot. You just did. Because you said you are X. It means I've assessed everything, I know all information, and you're an idiot. You will never be anything more than an idiot. That's actually your identity. You are ignorant, you will never be more than that. You make stupid decisions, and you start going off on who they are, and they will never change. How do you know that? You don't know what someone is. You don't know why they do what they do. You don't know their motivations. You don't know where they came from. You don't know where God is taking them. You cannot make a statement about somebody else's identity. You are a, stop, you're already out of line. There's only one person that knows someone's identity and it's not you. We need to learn in our language to say, you are acting X as opposed to you are. Does that make sense? It's a subtle shift, but it's something dynamic about when you stop acting like God and now you're an observer. It's a lot more healthy. As we close out in our final minutes, here's what I want to do. We're going to do a lot of this a little bit more intensely tonight, but I wanted to take a little bit of time to clean up some things with God. I wanna do it through this lens. Y'all remember the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, right? I mean, that's a real, real common one. Jesus, at the last supper, I and mean, he, he kneels down and he starts wa- you know, washing the disciples' feet. They were super embarrassed because it was almost like, oh, if your boss is doing that, you should have done that for him when he first walked in. Oh, we blew it. There's all this awkwardness. And it's like, I don't think the, my Lord should be washing my dirty feet. This is embarrassing. He starts washing their feet and everyone's a little bit awkward. And then he comes to Mr. Drama, known as Peter. And Peter's like, you can't wash my feet. And he was like, bro, if I don't wash your feet, nobody's washing your feet. You need to be cleansed. He's like, then wash my whole body. And he's like, oh my goodness. Child, you need to calm down. What is happening here? You're always so extreme. I don't need to wash your whole body I've already cleansed the important part of you. Your spirit has been purified in me. Now, your soul and your body have been walking through and picking up some grime. I don't need to do a re-baptism, I don't need a resalvation. I don't need any, of that. you've been walking through picking up dirt. I need to wash the dirt off so relationally I can shift from corrector to comforter. That's all I'm trying to tell you. But I need you to let me look at the grime and get rid of it. If I'm not getting rid of it, who's getting rid of it? In that same way, when we go to God to confess, two things are going to be true. The first one is you're never gonna tell him something he didn't know, right? I threw a rock at his head, I know. I watched it, your aim is terrible. (laughs) Second thing, Whenever you go to God and you confess, you're walking into a mature, healthy parent who wants the best for you and who has healing in their hands and grace in their heart. Now, once again, he knows if he's getting played, but there's not fear there. You show them and expose what is wrong and there's a gentleness in his eyes. Y'all, confession should be a place of freedom, not a place of condemnation. In that spirit, I'm just gonna lead us through a time of just reflecting on what we've been doing and asking God to wash us. Is that okay? Let's do that and we'll get out of here. Prayer team, uh, as I finish praying, just come on up. There's a lot of folks that need some prayer today. Let's pray. God, we're reflecting on this last week and wow, we were out of control. Our thoughts were all over the map and some of them went into some pretty crazy places. Lord, we were treating people like as if we were you and they answered to us. We were super judgmental. We were, we were even using people in our own hearts. Some of us, we even acted on it. And, and Lord, we have not been kind and loving. We're not making excuses for it. It is what it is. Yes, we did it. God, as a matter of fact, I feel so broken, I'm looking forward and saying, I don't know if I'm not gonna just do it again. If I don't have help from you, I'm, I'm gonna do it again. I'm that messed up. But God, I just wanna come to you on behalf of all of us, everyone that can hear me, and just say, Lord, for everything we can own right now, No more excuses, no more hiding. We are sorry. We hurt your heart. We violated your laws, and it was not okay. Lord, you told us that if we would bring it to you, that you had cleansing to give. So I just ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just rinse, all of the dirt off. Everything we've been picking up from the world, the bad influences, the yucky language, the mean-spiritedness, the secularism, the humanism. Lord, I just pray that that would rinse off of our souls, rinse off of our bodies, rinse off of our hearts and minds. God, I pray that you would do a deep clean So that, Father, as we walk out of here, we can feel light. We can take that joy and that freedom and parlay it out to somebody else. We can begin to make their day because our day has just been cleansed. We can forgive because we've just been forgiven. So, God, I just pray that you would allow us to have a sense, an understanding of what it means to let the weight upon our shoulders fall off in Jesus' name. So, God, we give you our hands our tongue, our feet, and we ask for cleansing. We don't deserve it. We never did, but that never stopped you before. Would you wash us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.